King's Landing has fallen. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. My name is Luke Kurt. We're back. We have everybody together, ready to finally discuss the Game of Thrones series finale and the episode that preceded it. Joining me today, Melody Akles. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. Dan, welcome. Dracaris. And Mo, welcome. Well, Luke, you should have said that King's Landing got the shit burned out of it. But I'm... <laughs> it has fallen. It, it takes less room. And I only have a little bit of room when I'm doing the intro for to make sure that all the audio works out. Okay, so when we left off, I think there were three of us on that discussion. I don't think Dan was there. But when we left off... Um, Danny and company, Danny, John and company were preparing to face Cersei at, uh, and they were outside the walls of, uh, of King land King's landing. Mel, this episode was very controversial, may, though maybe not as controversial as the series finale. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? Uh, what was your quick take on the episode before we dive into it? Because I I feel, and maybe I'm wrong on this, that there's three beats to this episode that really need to be covered. There's Danny's insanity and burning the place down. There's Cersei and Jamie, and there's Clegane Bowl, and then there's what the hell is Arya doing in King's Landing? So four. <laughs> Th- those are the four major beats of this episode. So what's your quick take on it before we dive in? My quick take on it was that, you know, I feel like it gave us a lot of potential leading up to the finale, which was later all destroyed. But that's n- neither here nor there. I did think that Danny's it, essentially dissension into psychosis was rushed a bit but i do understand why she had her whole moment like it kind of felt like an episode of snapped if anybody remembers that show where she just sat there and she looked at it and she was like yeah we're not doing this i'm tired i've had enough and this is kind of is what it is um i think john's reaction while watching the whole thing was interesting as well um, what else happened in that episode? The death of Varys. Oh, true. Well, if he learned to stop gossiping, he would be all right, but he didn't know how to not do it, so. Just oh. wide out in the open. Just like, <laughs> on the beach, talking about treason to John. Like, what are we doing? I mean, the, the Kleang Bowl was the thing that I didn't know I needed. It was everything. I'm sure we'll get into that discussion later. And Jamie and Cersei, I have, as Dan says, I have thoughts. So do I. I have created a whole alternate ending in my head for both of these episodes. (laughs) 
Um, not to say not to say that they were necessarily bad episodes, but I feel that there were a couple fundamental tweaks that could have been made at a few pivotal points that would have changed the whole dynamic. Dan, what's your quick take on this? Uh, my quick take is um, when you have an episode where a character makes a turn and the audience doesn't know why. So you sort of insert a bunch of narrative quotes by other characters and stuff like that in the previously on Game of Thrones section of the episode. It's fundamentally just it it's such like an egregious fault. I I the I mean the this episode in particular, the bells. It's just, I I love Clegane Bowl. Love love Clegane Bowl. I've I don't know what the purpose of the Golden Company was other to other then than fodder. to be, yeah, just fodder, I guess. But then why would you cast an actor as Harry Strickland? And why make such a big deal out of elephants and the whole like never broken a contract thing? I it doesn't make sense. Why is Varys, like, openly talking about treason in the middle of the beach? Why, you know, there are some... Why is Arya in King's Landing? Like, like really, if she's not going up those stairs... If she walks all the way to the map room and doesn't go up those stairs to kill Cersei, what was the point of her even being around? What was the point of her showing, like, all of these people that she's attempting to save but didn't save and, like... All of this. Why? You know, John and Davos and uh, Tyrion all had this look on their face during the course of the episode like, we bet on the wrong horse. Like, this is this is not great. Like, I, you know, the episode has flaws and there's, like, from a perspective of someone who's seen all of the episodes, you, you sort of get mad, but at the same time, from a cinematography standpoint, it is gorgeous. The episode itself, the CGI, their ability to recreate the entire like King's Landing set on a on a green screen set in, that they created in Belfast, like all of that is absolutely gorgeous, and they should be commended for that. But this episode has too many flaws to ignore. Mo. Quick take? Simply that it's rushed. I mean, the bells, it's... I, I agree with Dan on everything on the cinematography, um, but in terms of plot, you know, if you if you just, again, start with the whole business with Davos, it's like they took a shortcut because, oh, we got two episodes left. We've got to, to get everything into place for, you know... Drum roll, Danny's heel turn later in the episode, and you've got to start having characters start doing stupid stuff. And again, Varys, from the get-go, you know, Varys up to that point was playing chess. Suddenly, you know, he's forgetting to learn the rules of chess? It just doesn't make sense. Though I do enjoy the scene in which he was executed. I thought that was just gorgeous, you know, where... The, where um. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the dragon appears out of out of um, out of the night sky and just 
burns him. It was just, it was gorgeous to look at. Now, in terms of the Golden Company, I think, again, again, I think it's purely about, you know, we don't have that many episodes left. Why don't, why delve into the Golden Company? Why don't we just simply just make them a bunch of red, red shirts? And it's, they were a joke. They were essentially a joke. There was this whole build up, right? And they get wiped out by one dragon. I personally thought it was hilarious. I enjoyed it and tremendously. And I thought it was just really funny because I, I in my head, huh? I thought it was sort of a metaphor for Cersei's whole claim and uh, to the throne and power. Everything that she had done had been a, a show of force. But when it came down to it, she was not nothing that she could actually do against a physical threat was actually viable. And I thought that that was an interesting way to depict it, but that was just my take on it. Well, you know, and I never really thought about it that way. I mean, I, I thought essentially that they, Benioff and Weiss were just having a go with the fact that a, they, they had, they didn't have a whole lot of time to, you know, meticulously build up the golden company. B, that they didn't have the budget for the elephants because that was a running joke, and 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 so that that's personally how I looked at it. But when and I don't know if we really want to delve into you know Daenerys's heel turn at, at, at right we're, now. We're going to get into that as soon as everybody's quick takes are finished. Yeah, because it's I don't just, think that it was a heel turn. All of the at all you don't think okay mm-hmm. okay we can okay we can we can argue that but but and and i just feel like if this had been episode four or five out of a 10 out of out of a 10 episode season i, I think a lot of the problems that we had with this episode would wouldn't be a problem um aria being in king's landing you know, essentially, it was set up. You know, why she was there. I, I I understood why she was going to King's Landing, but for me, it's like that pivotal moment in which she makes that decision to leave the Hound. It just—I wasn't quite sold on it, though. Again, I go back to the cinematography was just gorgeous. So, I mean, it looked beautiful, but it just was—it was just too plot heavy. Not enough character for me. My quick take on it is that this episode sacrificed substance for cinematography. There are elements to this that were wonderful because you needed the epic scale. We had seen everything that had taken place against the Night King, so Cersei needed to have some sort of viable comparison. Um, They tried doing that with the ships. They tried doing that with the Golden Company. But the thing about Cersei for all these seasons is she has never been a afraid to sacrifice the masses for her own gain she did that with blowing up the church with everybody in it she she put the dragon fire um throughout all of king's landing already once her using the people um and getting them into the city was another element for me the golden compass was just basically the armor of which she was doing it and when it came down to it the armor was nothing more than maybe aluminum it it really wasn't anything it was all a show her the the lannister armies that were once so great had for whatever reason have either been depleted or were uh, were not up to snuff without jamie or her father there to marshal them and so everything 
it was it's almost like Cersei was fool's gold in the end. Um, and so the Golden Company part did make me chuckle, but I was like, well, these aren't the warriors they were supposed like we they were built up to be. But at the same time, Danny's on a dragon burning shit down. Let's talk a little bit about Danny and her burning things down. Um, prior to arriving at King's Landing, she'd had a conversation with Tyrion about trying to uh, in which he tried to convince her to spare the people if she, they heard the if the bells told. And so in this episode, we have a lot of suspense built up as to whether or not the the bells will toll and then once they finally do Danny is sitting on the dragon and everything that she has experienced the loss of her friends the betrayals of her advisors everything that has brought her to this point the memory of everything she's been told since a girl about the Targaryens and how the family once ruled comes to a point in which she is sitting on the wall on her dragon and just decides to burn the house down because she, in her mind, at least the way it's depicted, King's Landing is just as much a problem as Cersei. And she sets the place on fire. Mel, what did you think mm-hmm. of of how um, Danny did it? And did you think it was a massive turn? So the way that they had set up the beginning of the episode, you know, they kept saying, oh, you know, Danny hasn't eaten anything. She hasn't spoken to anyone. She's just distraught. And when we finally do see her, you know, her hair's a mess. She got no makeup on. Her eyes are red. You know, they're kind of setting the scene for her doing something drastic or maybe out of character or something, you know, along those lines. So when... She finally does get on Drogon and she decides, okay, we coming for King's Landing. You know, they killed my best friend. The Lannisters have killed tons of people, my family, everything. We're going to do this. So, you know, of course, she burns the Iron Fleet down to the ground and she gets to the wall at King's Landing. And Tyrion, who I think is very interesting in this episode because... You know, he's left King's Landing long ago, and now he's like, oh, we must save the people of King's Landing, and this is very important. There are women and children out there. And I understand, you know, wanting to save the women and the children, but then again, I'm like, since when have you ever given a damn about the people of King's Landing? But that's another time for another place. So back to Danny. So Danny's there, and she's looking at King's Landing, waiting for the bells to ring, and John and company are staring the Red Keep in the face, and they've seen the damage the dragons have done, the dragon, because they're only down to one, have done, and Danny just looks at everything, and the bells ring, and everybody's like, oh, okay, this is it. We're going to give up. We're going to surrender, but it was too easy. Like, there was, I, I didn't see it going that way, and honestly, I kind of figured King's Landing was going to end up in ruins at, at the end of the season, or the end of the series so Danny burning the place down uh, I mean what did what did um Missande tell her what were her last words Dracarys so to honor your friend and all of your feelings you burn the place down I mean genocide I can't 
I can't necessarily say I was like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. How could Danny do this? Because I'm like, hmm, they kind of had it coming. Sorry, but I don't know. The way the way that it was done, like I agree when when you were talking earlier saying that everything was rushed and we we could have played more beats. I absolutely believe like that could have been done. But I mean, I did feel bad for the, you know, the innocents, the women, the children, the men there that were being burned alive. But then again, Cersei has been pulling this left and right all series. So, uh, uh, okay. I kind of wish she just like, I mean, burn some of the city and then just burn the castle down. But nah, she needed somewhere to stay, I guess. Dan, what were your thoughts on Danny's turn and um, King's Landing's burning? I, I personally feel like I'm not opposed to the idea that this happened. I just don't think there was enough lead in for it. Like this is very this could be within the realm of possibilities for Danny as a character. That's like completely on the table, totally could happen. Thing is though, this season and even last season are so rushed just from a dialogue perspective from, you know, character was making choices what's motivating those choices we don't necessarily know all of those things anymore we used to be able to be like all right it'll take like a a season for them to get from let's say winterfell to king's landing or something you know something like that where it's like all right this is going to take some time they're on foot they're talking they're having these moments they're you know coming to these realization points that eventually lead to a decision being made and an action being taken. Now, with Danny, I don't necessarily see it... Like, a lot of people want to say, oh, she went Mad Queen. I personally don't think she went Mad Queen. I think this is what would have happened had her brother, Viserys, if he had lived and experienced all of the jealousy that she feels towards John. You know, everyone loves him over her. Everyone in King's Landing loves Cersei over her. Um, You know, she always wants to talk about breaking the wheel and being this savior figure and being beloved. Well, in Westeros, she's never been beloved. This is the first place where she's not beloved. So for her going in and having that turn and being asked to, you know, tone it down and, you know, win gracefully as it were, that's, that's not it's what not she in her knows. Character. That's not in her character. Now I'm making all of these like connections here and there. The show did not like the, the show flat out just made it look like, okay, I'm making a spur of the moment decision because I'm mad. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enraged. I'm, you know, leaning into my Targaryen lineage a little bit with, you know, not eating, not drinking, uh, kind of letting herself go in terms of her hair and all, like all of these sort of things. Um, cause that's what the mad King was doing toward the end. You know, that it, it was a whole thing. 
Um, it just if I like if we as an audience have to make those connections ourselves to try and make sense of a character's motivations to do something, it's a bad look. It's a rushed look. It's and like I said, you know, the burning of King's Landing, all of all of the actions that Danny took in slot, like even with Grey Worm, everyone lays down their weapons, but Grey Worm th- throws a spear and suddenly it's back on. And you know, John and the Northmen are sort of like, I don't know. Um, I I would be fine with all of it if we understood the motivations behind the actions. Mo, you know, I agree with. I agree with Dan. It was, it was lacking in mo- in motivation. And again, my my feeling really, really, all we needed was like a scene with Danny. Like perhaps you know, again, it, like perhaps Danny came, landed with, uh, landed. Drogon had landed, and Danny had gotten off, and suddenly all she came and said, you know, I freed you from Cersei or something like that. And the and the. And the people of King's Landing just started chucking stuff at her and just saying that, you know, Cersei's that queen. I could have seen that. And that would have, to me, would have been the motivation for her to be like, well, look, I came to save you. You know, you want to, you don't want to bend the knee to me. You want to side with Cersei. I'll just burn you all. If we'd gotten something like that, it would have helped sell this for me a little bit better. Or if they had been. Like previously, you know, you know, Game of Thrones has never really done anything where you had people, folks, um, you've had like flashback, real, like a lot of flashbacks in in the moment. So if we'd had a flashback with Danny to when she was talking to Olena and Olena said, you a dragon, be a dragon. And then Danny started burning shit there. I would have bought that. But again, just because it's essentially what, what, what Benioff and Weiss did was. Danny wasn't eating. Her head was going cr- going crazy. She, her boo, Jon Snow, her boo slash nephew, wanted to call things off with her. Then she go. It, it, essentially, it just made it seem like it was real petty things were the reason why she turned and decided to burn King's Landing. And I think that it didn't work in character, and especially in this era. You know, we're post me too, and thinking about you know how this is picked. You've you've you you've got to. Th- I'm sorry, but Benioff and Weiss needed to think about how this would play. You know, I understand the story going where the story goes, but again, how you get there, how you sell it, you know, also is really, really, truly important. I think that they forgot that. I, I truly do. I mean, I like I said, I don't have a problem with her ultimately burning the place down. That's perfectly fine. I just need a really good reason. You need to sell me on that beat, and that didn't happen. So here's my take, and I know that I am in the minority on this, but I predicted that she was going to end up being a villain years ago, seasons ago. I think the first time that I was like, yeah, this is, she's not a great character. She's going to end up bad was when she locked all the chiefs in there and burned the place down in those scenes. You had 
most people, most viewers were like, oh, look at her. She's doing all this awesome stuff. She's walked through the flame uh, once again. She's freeing people. She's taking over an army. She's a liberator. But at the fundamental balance, if you go all the way back to Danny's brother when he was, he was killed with the gold on his head, she always stood by and just looked. And there was never any empathy in any of the people who she took out, the, whether it was her brother's death, whether it was the witch um, who did the stuff with the baby when she died. If you go along the line, every single one of those from the slave masters of Marine and the various other people, every time she took someone out, there was... It was either it was her way or the highway almost every single time. And there was very little empathy for the ruling class of that of whatever she was working her way through. And every single time while the downtrodden were like liberated in her mind and she thought that she was doing right and viewers ended up buying into this myth of her being a liberator Every single time, the the foundation of how she was doing it was that of someone who had a, a heart of, like, a spine of steel and was not going to provide much empathy. So by time we get to where we are at in this season, for me, it was just obvious that she was going to end up the Mad Queen. I looked at it as one of those things where okay we've had we have seen this build up with this character over all of these seasons it did not surprise me in the least that she burnt everything down especially when you add that the interpersonal elements of it have started to overwhelm her there is the insecurity that she has with john and the fact that he is beloved and we saw that what two episodes before when they were celebrating the end of or the, the battle at Winterfell, and how in order to try and make herself more appealing, she was making Gendry the the head of the Baratheon family. We've seen it in her insecurities and in her conversations with John, not just this season but last season when she's talking about like their interpersonal dynamic. Once she found out about him being a Targaryen, it got just that much worse. And her world of people who she trusted kept shrinking. With the death of uh, Masande, it got even smaller. And when we ended up at the point where she Tyrion is having that conversation and Grey Worm is standing there and Tyrion is begging for her to wait for the bells and she nodded at Grey Worm, at first blush, it looked like she was taking Tyrion's advice. But then after she burned it and then after seeing... Grey Worm's reaction and basically um, his how he ended up slaughtering people who'd put down their arms, it made me pause and think about, wait a minute, maybe that wasn't her waiting for the bells. Maybe that was her giving Grey Worm the signal that she was going to do something more. Now, that was me reading into that scene, specifically for that scene. But I feel that the buildup to this her going mad and her burning the place down was there. I know that I'm in a very small minority on that, but that is how I've looked at it over all of these seasons. Can I just uh, throw something out there? So, so, and again, I, 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 I'm with you in terms of how you, you've set up your argument again. And I think the thing is 
Danny, again, has always been portrayed as this, you know, downtrodden hero. And as seasons have progressed, more of an anti-hero. And, you know, and if we go to, and, and st- uh, stay with me here, if we go to, if we look at daytime and we look at General Hospital, many of the things that Sonny and Jason do are pretty much aligned with what Danny does. You know, she takes out the Sonny and Jason take out those in power who they believe are the greater threat than they are, and the people cheer them on, including the fans of the show. You know, and well, and another comparison would be Anakin. Yes, and And, Anakin too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Clagame Bowl took place. The Mountain versus the Hound. Dan, what'd you think? Oh, I it was something that I knew I needed, and then it happened. And then Kyburn dying in the most comedic way possible beforehand was just like such a like chef's kiss of a moment that led into this amazing, just well choreographed fight between these two brothers, these two figures from the moment that um Littlefinger tells Sansa the original story back in season one until now you you're just replaying all of the history you have with Sander and Gregor Clegane and you're just like yes I am here for this I you know take him out uh, the hound like just do it and the mountain's not dying and the helmet comes off and you see how just like Like, he's not even human anymore. He's just, like, this zombie guy. And he keeps stabbing him. Doesn't work. And you knew. You knew it had to end in fire. And it was beautiful. And it was so well. Like, the cinematography on him pushing his brother over the edge into the fire with the music cues. Just perfect. It was wonderful. Okay. Mo. Again, the quiet bird getting his head bashed in was hilarious. But um, but yeah, Gamble, you know, from the moment you know they you knew that the two were gonna meet on the stairs, and you know it was it was very violent. But the but there was so much comedy in it. I mean, from Cersei, like. You know, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I need to get out of here. I need to run. I just howled. Um, But, like, Dan just summed it up perfectly. You know, the majesty of of this fight, how epic it felt. You know, you knew that these two forces were going to lock horns. And, again, like, and Dan summed it up perfectly. You know, the only way it was going to end was with fire. It was perfect. Mel? The Kaglang Bowl was the highlight of the episode for me. I mean, you have these two large brothers. I mean, just going at it. Toe to toe. No mercy. I think when uh, Gregor saw Sandor and Cersei is like, obey your queen and he turned around and was like uh uh-uh, uh girl we got too much history here and you no longer matter so to watch Cersei kind of tiptoe out of there like uh uh-uh, uh Quiber just got it I am not ended up like that y'all go ahead on and have it was fantastic 
So watching them fight, I thought it was so well choreographed. Their little kind of jabs at each other while their fighting was great. I mean, the point when the hound stabs the mountain in the eye and he just pulls, the mountain pulls the dagger out. And the hound is like, why won't you just die? Was fantastic. I loved that whole scene. But Dan is absolutely correct that it couldn't end in any other way than fire. So absolutely great. I thought that was Game of Thrones through and through. I love the portions of it that I could watch because I'm such a wimp when it comes to stabbings that the whole thing with the eye and the various other stabbings, I was like, I had my face covered. Listen, I had a Game of Thrones viewing party and I had my eyes covered for that portion of a, a good chunk of that portion. I, I want to spend some time talking about Jamie and Cersei because for me, they are actually the part that upset me the most about this episode i do not feel that cersei's death that cersei received a death worthy of her villainy the her walk when the shame walk in earlier seasons was more impactful than her death in this and it really that was the thing that really made me upset cersei it could be argued may be one of the top five villains in television history. And she went out with a whimper. Elena Tyrell wasn't a villain, but they gave her an ending that was classic Granny Tyrell. And it was perfect for her. Cersei, in my opinion, did not get that. Mo, what did you think of Jamie and Cersei dying together in either, each other's arms beneath the castle rubble? You know, it felt it felt I agree with you, Luke. It was not a death worthy of Cersei Lannister. However, I mean, I do felt there was again, cinematically it was a very beautiful scene. It was very well shot. Uh I think that the two actors you know, did a phenomenal job and you could really feel that chemistry between it. They sold it. It was shit, but they sold it. And, uh, but you forgot, you know, leading up to uh, Cersei and Jamie's reunion, you, you forgot about Euron Greyjoy. No, you know, I did not up- forget about that because that, <laughs> like, he, sh- they should have spent the time that they wasted on him and Jamie fighting on the beach by just having had him die when the dragon took out the ships and let there be some more time for for some other character development with Jamie and Cersei, of which I will get to when I talk more about how upsetting I found this. But continue. <laughs> Show us how you really feel, Luke. Um, but, you know, I think, it, you know, it, it felt like they were really trying to um, really, you know, have some sort of twist on that uh, prophecy about how one of Cersei's younger brothers were going to ultimately lead, be the one that killed her. Now, ironically, it ends up being her two younger brothers, you know, leading her down this path that leads to her death. I think that, for me, Cersei Lannister wouldn't be crying and begging and pleading about, I'm going to die, I, Jamie, I don't want to lose the baby, going to die, blah, blah, blah. That was not how Cersei Lannister should have gone out. Cersei Lannister shouldn't have been crying like that. Now, the line was crap, but, you know, again, you know, uh, the 
Electra sold it. But I, I, I think I think they should Cersei at least should have made it to the final episode and really had a confrontation with Danny. I would have liked another confrontation with Danny. But Mel, okay. So you mean to tell me that Cersei Lannister, the same heifer that blew up all the ships, that killed all these people, that has done any and everything to keep her power? goes out because of bad foundation problems? Really? Honestly? Like, I and I can't stand Cer- Cersei. I'm probably the number one Cersei hater. So, you're telling me that in the penultimate episode, Cersei is running away and like Mo said, she's begging, oh, I don't want to go down. Oh, I don't want to do this. If anything I know about Cersei Lannister is that Cersei Lannister ain't no punk. Okay? She just not. Period. So we got her trying to run away and she meets up with Jamie, and now they just going to die together. That was so disappointing. So out of character for Cersei. And I'm, I guess the writers were wanting us to believe that, oh, well, this is how, you know, Cersei gets her comeuppance, is that, you know, she's left begging for her life. No, that's not enough. That is not enough for all the seasons that I watch Cersei do nothing but dirt and not care about anybody or anything or nothing. I needed Cersei to get her head chopped off. I needed to watch her get burned by a dragon. I needed to watch them cut her into pieces. Something better than what we got because it was just wrong. Disrespectful to everybody who watched this show. Dan? It gets worse the more times I watch their death. Um, especially in the context of the finale when Tyrion finds the bodies. Right, and the the bricks only fell in one spot. Yeah, one spot. If they move six <laughs> feet to the left, they live. That, that, that happened. Like, they move six feet to the left, they're fine. They hide in a skull of a dragon over there. They're good, you know, but instead they are, they want to, the writers decide they want to create a womb for them to die in. Just like the womb that they came from, they die in a womb of rubble. I get the metaphor. I get where they're going with. Let's just call it what it was. It was shit. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Uh, I hated it. I thought it was a disservice to all of the uh, character development that we've seen from Jamie's perspective. I mean, the idea that he would leave Brienne out in the cold, go all the way to King's Landing, get caught, then Tyrion has to free him, and now he's like, uh, it just, it, it doesn't, there are moments that where it doesn't add up the timing is wrong like it feels very rushed and it feels like a disservice to all of these epic stories and epic moments that we've had with both Cersei and Jamie I mean with Cersei she is someone who was trying to get her father's approval the entire time married off had to deal with Robert and, you know, his unfaithfulness. And then the the Tyrells and, you know, they want to marry her off to Loras. And then 
she tries to sick the sparrows on him and it doesn't like that backfires on her and everything leads up to her on the throne but wait there's someone coming with dragons and uh, it just here's i felt like it was almost like a betrayal of sorts see and this is why and this is why this is the portion of this episode that makes me more upset than Danny. Because if I'm trying to look at it from all the Danny lovers standpoint, yes, I can see why you're upset that she made a turn without there being enough setup of evidence. But what happened with Cersei was completely out of the blue. There was like, you could argue that there was some setup for Danny, but there was nothing for Cersei. She went from mad, power-hungry queen to whimpering idiot in her brother's arms. And it was disgraceful. Yes. I I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't have said it better. Here, um, here, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead. So here's the thing. I feel that in this specific episode, Cersei's scenes could have been saved quite easily. And if it had just used a little bit of history to do it. And the reason why I say that is Arya spent a crap load of time going through explosions as Danny was burning it up for pointless characters that we then had to find out later from the creators that they were wanting to show it. Why did we need the white horse? Yes, it was stunning in beauty. But why did we need to have Arya doing that? Here is what, in my opinion, should have happened and should have been the story and is my alternate story for Cersei and Jaime. My initial thought was, instead of it being that they die in each other's arms, that, and I'm going to just take Euron off the table on this because that was so pathetic it wasn't even funny. Jamie should have reached Cersei as Clegane Bowl was ending. They could have still run off, but in the end, my first theory was he should have been the one to kill her because it would have been an acknowledgement of the horrible person that she is for the masses that she has slaughtered. And it would be an acknowledgement of everything that had happened with him being wrong and it would, or with her being bad, it would have been a redemption for him and explained his betrayal of Brienne. That was my first theory. But then when I was talking to someone, they were like, you can't do that. He's not going to kill his own child. Okay, fair enough. If you want to keep it from that standpoint, then here's the other alternate ending. What should have happened is, Jamie meets up with Cersei at the end of Clegane Bowl, and they are running through the castle as Danny is burning the place down, and Arya, who has been wasted this entire time, finds them on the terrace, where we started out in season one, where she's on there watching her father being beheaded, and faces off with Jamie, who has one hand, much like the person, the the weapons trainer who taught her how to fight with one hand behind his back, and she ends up killing or majorly wounding Jamie. And then it is Arya who takes out Cersei. Yes, you might make Arya too powerful of a character in terms of mythology as being the person who took down both the Night King and Cersei Lannister, 
but as a payoff for the viewers and Cersei getting her comeuppance. If you go back to the scene of Joffrey where he has Ned beheaded, Cersei put, we all know that Cersei put that whole thing in motion. But then once she got, and she had a plan to get Ned off, and Joffrey did it in, but she was responsible. Arya was there. It was there. She, they, he, she could have found Cersei and Arya could have found Cersei and Jamie at the same location where Ned died. There could have been a flashback to her watching her father and being pulled away and then see the two people who were responsible for the boy who murdered her father and the woman who put that whole ball in motion and she takes them out. That would have been, a, for me, a death worthy of Cersei. And that is why, I, that is what frustrated me the most about this episode. Cersei did not get what she deserved in a way that she deserved. And it leads us into the final episode of Game of Thrones, in which we're dealing with the aftermath. Grey Worm is um, slitting people's throats. John goes and meets with Tyrion. Has a little bit of a discussion with um, Tyrion, about, and Tyrion tries to convince him to do in uh, Danny. We get an amazing shot cinematography-wise in terms of Danny with the dragon wings. It was stunning. And then we also get a pretty impressive scene with how John takes out Danny. Uh, Mel. Mm-hmm. I feel like because this episode after the bell after the bells episode, this episode seemed to sort of like only take a little bit. of I mean, it sort of seemed to go slowly, but then it felt rushed at the end in that everything with Danny and John seemed to be really slow. And then all of a sudden setting up new Westeros just happened in the flick. So let's talk about Danny and John, how he kills her and your reaction to it. What did you think? Honestly, so I have to talk about that shot because as a film graduate, when I saw Danny walk up and the dragon's wings behind her, oh my lord, that shot is absolutely amazing. Like, it just encompasses exactly who she is, the mother of dragons. Okay, and then to have Danny go and she's making a speech to... The Unsullied, who I feel like I don't know how we ended up getting this many Unsullied left because I didn't think we had that many, but you know what? I'll let it go. The Unsullied and the Dothraki and all of her, basically her constituents, everyone who's left. And Danny's saying that, you know what? We did it. We came across the Seven Kingdoms. You promised to give me King's Landing, to give me the Iron Throne, and we made it. And then she goes on to say... And we're going to keep doing it. We're going to conquer the whole world. Are you with me? You know, one of those speeches. And of course they are. So you kind of see her vision of where she wanted to go. And she was basically saying that, you know, if we need to do this again the same way, we will. So I thought that was very interesting as well. And then we finally get to see Danny meeting up with the Iron Throne, where she's trying 
where she's been trying to get the entire series and she gets there and she just touches it and then we see John and personally I was like oh she we don't even get to see her sit in the iron throne like just maybe just like a small kind of up I said in it and I'm gonna get up but no we didn't even get to see it so once I saw John coming and this is after Tyrion has essentially gone to John and said hey you know you should kill Danny, right you see what she did to those people. She's going to keep doing it. And we know John is dumb and impressionable. So whatever. So John and Danny are finally having this speech. And he's trying to get a feel for where her state of mind is. And why she did what she did. Because in the conversation that John and Tyrion had just had. John was actually defending Danny. So now that he's actually in her face and he's trying to see, oh, you know, would you do it again if you had to do it a different way? Or if there were more people like this, would you do it? And essentially, Danny was like, hell yeah, I have no regrets for where I am and how I got here. So how are we going to do this? And as soon as I saw them kind of reach for each other in this embrace, I was like, oh, it's literally going to be a we can do this together. Kiss, stab. And as soon as I said that, he, what happens? Kiss, John stab. stabs Danny in the heart of all places. Stabs Danny in the heart. And I'm like, because of course, the mother of dragons, the breaker of chains, the unburnt, and every other title that she has dies because of some man who stabs her in the heart. Really? She burned down all the King's Landing. She had three dragons were down to one. And she dies because she's in love with her nephew. And she can't see past it. And she dies and stabs in the heart. You want to talk about disappointing. That's how I feel about that whole thing. But I will say when Drogon came and he was like trying to nudge her and she wouldn't get up. I felt so bad. And then, of course, Drogon burns and melts the Iron Throne, which I figured was going to happen. I didn't think that we were actually going to have anyone to sit on the Iron Throne and be the, you know, leader of the Seven Kingdoms. So he burns, he melts the Iron Throne, he picks up Danny, and that is the last we see of the Mother of Dragons. Dan, what were your thoughts? I I really appreciated uh, the Tyrion John talk from the perspective of how similar it was to a talk that Varys and Ned had during season one. In terms, like once Tyr- Tyrion realizes that John although can't justify Danny's actions is still sort of loyal. J- just keeps saying, he just keeps saying she's our queen, you know, stuff like that. Like as soon as she, he starts saying that Tyrion's like, yeah, uh, is our Arya and Sansa, are they going to bend the knee? And also you're, you do realize you're probably dead too. You know, you're the, most legitimate heir to the Iron Throne. Like, there's no way you survive this. And as soon as, like, Arya and Sansa get brought up, he reluctantly knows what he has to do, and he... it, the cinematography 
in the throne room with, you know, the sky open and the chair and she touches it and talks about, you know, not being able to count to 20. Uh, it, the whole thing was fantastic. But I will agree with Mel that the idea that she can't see past her affection for her nephew, again, nephew, uh, although for Targaryens, that's not as much of a thing, which says more about Targaryens than anything else. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really... I didn't like that it was framed in a way that it was like, oh, um, you know, the guy I like stabbed me. Uh-oh, I'm dead now. As opposed to, like, the political context. Like, if it were a discussion about ruling and it had nothing to do with her feelings for him. If it separated that altogether, like all of the previous scenes did, I'm just saying that, you know, John sort of put the kibosh on their relationship a little bit. And now all of a sudden Danny's back in. That's not how that works. Um, I'd be more okay with it. If it weren't about, you know, a woman dies because she couldn't get past the man that she likes and couldn't see that, Oh, he's going to stab you. It just, it, that, that felt wrong to me. Mo. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, I, you know, first off, when Danny was talking to the unsullied and the Dothraki, you know, it was like, cue the star Wars, theme you know when the empire shows up it's like you know complete with the banners you know the house targaryen banners and you know it was very darth vader yeah it was so but you know i it's it's really hard at this moment to follow up with what everything that dan and mel have have said about about these scenes it's it, it you know it's very you knew Going into at this point, you kind of knew that Danny. You kind of felt like Danny was going to die, and and as we got to that moment where she touches, she gets to the throne room, and she is able to uh, see the Iron Throne and to touch it. And it's kind of like a child who who finally gets that item that they've always craved, and how she talks about again counting and. And her her childhood and 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 evokes all these emotions. It's a very well put together scene, and there's a lot of imagery there. It's just again, when you get to the bottom line, she dies, and it's by the hand of her nephew slash lover. You know, that's that's when it kind of I have some problems with that, but but from from an intellectual perspective in terms of plot it's clear as day this is where this is going and i don't i respect that in terms of plot and i respect that at least we get there rather quickly it doesn't like drag it out the entire episode now i do have to also give shout out to drogon because from the scene in which john is walking 
to the throne room, you know, and Drogon comes out of the snow and is like stares at John, stares him down, and then lets John pass. You know, that was just beautiful. And well, actually, that wasn't snow; that was actually ash. But uh, to when Drogon then appears and then you know finds Danny dead, nudges her like Mel said, and then grabs her and flies off with her. Personally, I think Drogon should be up for an Emmy. I mean, that was the best support. That was a really good scene for a best supporter actor. Best, sing- act. best supporting actor in a CGI category. Yeah, really. Um, but, you know, it, 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 at, the, at the end of the day, it was what it was. You know, um, you, know you kind of had to get, just kind of plow through it, basically. Here, once again, is why, where I think very small changes could have made been made to make this even more impactful because the leap of logic from this scene to all of a sudden Grey Worm standing in front of the Seven Kingdom Council and everybody being like, so what, John just turned himself in? And here's the other thing, the stupid gallant, um, the gallant idiot, everybody already knows that he turned himself in. But did they really have to do it that way? And this is where, once again, I'm rewriting how this show ends in my head. I feel that if you go and pick up at that moment where John leaves Grey Worm slitting the throats of those men and he is disgusted by it, he goes past Dragon, and you have that wonderful scene in which he acknowledges the dragon acknowledges John. You can keep all of that. You can even keep everything up to him stabbing Danny. But what, in my opinion, should have happened is that when he, right before he stabbed Danny, Grey Worm, we, they should have cut back to Grey Worm or. Once Dragon roared in the distance, they should have cut to Grey Worm and him looking up at the castle. And then you can have Dragon still arrive, but rather than letting John, uh, having John let Danny fall to the floor, he should have held her in his arms and turned around to face Dragon as he landed. The dragon could have still done the nudging thing in John's arms. And then you, because of the positioning of the shot, nothing would have had to have changed with the burning of the throne. They could have like literally just moved John three feet in like to the side and he would have been standing immediately in the dragon fire. And if you had had John holding Danny as Dragon unleashes his flame. One of the things that fans have asked for for years was that John be able to survive fire. They didn't do it at the Winterfell battle. Why not have done it now? So if Dragon would have unleashed his flame with John holding Danny and you cut to the wide shot and you see John and Danny being wrapped up in the flame and then behind them you see the throne melting and you focus on the throne. When it finally cuts back, you could still see John having standing there surviving the flame 
as Danny has turned to ash. She's no longer alive. What is to say that, like, why would she need to still be invincible to fire once she's dead? And the met- and, and so you could literally have had Grey Worm walk in or come in as Dragon unleashes on John and Danny, see the throne melt, see John survive the flame, see his beloved queen turn to ash, and then all of a sudden, you don't have this giant leap of like how did Gray, how did Grey Worm know that John killed Danny? Why didn't John just disappear? You know, and I feel like just by moving John three feet and having Danny in his arms, you could have like made that scene that much more impactful. Well, also eliminating. All this, like, all the people being like, well, how did Grey Worm, because that was literally one of the first questions when we were done watching. It was like, how did Grey Worm, people were asking, how did Grey Worm know that John did it? And everybody was like, oh, John must have turned himself in. And that was like, you really want that kind of a reaction to the most, like, pivotal point of your episode? So for me, that's how I envisioned it. I envisioned Danny turning to Ash in John's arms and him surviving Dragon Fire, and Dragon could have still flown away. That's just I com- me. I completely agree with your take, Luke. And I also want to know how Grey Worm and the Unsullied took military control over the city after right. after Danny died, and suddenly they're keeping prisoners. Which I mean. There were people on their knees getting their throats slit earlier, but sure, John can be a prisoner. I think. Like that, I that mean, doesn't quite add you up. You gonna take on? You gonna take on Grey Worm and the Unsullied and the Dothraki? Because I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it seems like they would just kill John right then and there. Mm, yeah, I can agree with that. But no, see, that's and the what... other and the other thing about that is, is it's like it, rather than I, once you've conquered and you, I mean. It seems a little bit lame that just because you chop the head off of a snake, the Dothraki can't, or not the Dothraki, but the Unsullied can't, like, I would have thought that you would have been dealing with some sort of guerrilla warfare in King, what remains of King's Landing. To me, that would seem more logical, but once again, giant leap. Mo? Yeah. Well, and, I was going to say, maybe, and, and this is part of why I think Grey Worm knew that John was a Targaryen, and, you know, perhaps Danny, you know, had instructed, you know, Grey Worm at some point, you know, John's a Targaryen, you know, don't, you know, don't kill him or anything unless I tell you to. And that is, I mean, again, you've got to kind of make these leaps. And to me, that's one of the only logical leaps that, in my mind that would happen. But again... There's also Tyrion, you know, Tyrion sitting in a cell, too. And you're like, well, why'd they just go kill Tyrion, you know, the moment Danny was dead? So it felt like you're playing freeze tag. And, like, as soon as Danny dies, it, all the Dothraki and the Unsullied just freeze, you know? it's like It was literally like, and we're going back to Star Wars, it's literally like when they turn, like, they turn a flip a switch and all the droids go inactive. I mean, it's, seriously... Okay, let's talk about the rest of the episode. Uh, we had the council of the remaining survivors, the lords and ladies of Winter, or not Winterfell, but of Westeros. 
we got to see some characters we hadn't seen in a while. For example, Yara was there, and she was not happy because apparently she had some, well, at my reading into this, some extra, extra feelings for Danny. Tyrion is brought forth. He makes a speech about how ever, you can't defeat mythology and stories. And it is decided, even though Samwell Tarly suggests, suggests a democracy of which the lords and ladies laugh it off, that a king, a new ruling king will be, or queen will be set up and it will be voted on by the lords and ladies and it will not necessarily be by um, something where you inherit it by birth. Tyrion gives his speech and we get a wonderful scene in which Sansa, in which there is then the discussion about who will be the next leader and Sansa's uncle puts himself forward and to just Im like convey how much power Sansa has accumulated. She tells her uncle to sit down and pretty much everybody else sort of like snickers, or at least we were as an audience at home. But then Tyrion suggests that Bran, the cripple who hasn't done hardly anything for two seasons become the king because his story is so powerful. Dan? Thoughts? Oh, I got I, I got words for this. I've been I've been waiting for this one. Oh, this whole scene just made me furious. First of all, they bring Tyrion out in chains and they're basically like, hey, uh, prisoner guy, decide our governance. Decide what governance looks like in this new Westeros. I, I mean, first we got Yara and... Well, so Yara has this whole deal with Danny that the Iron Islands are going to be independent. The Prince of Dorne is there. He's not named. It's fine. Um, he had a whole thing with Danny, so he's upset about this whole thing. Ari is ready to cut throats, which is cool. Um, Robin Aaron got the biggest glow up of all time. My goodness, the internet was going wild over him. Um, but I just I don't understand what having a good story has to do with a you know creating a government, having a government what a government's going to look like, you know, why does, why does Bran being king, why, do, how does that make sense? You know, I mean, Brendan Rivers, the last three-eyed raven before Bran, lived to be 102 years old, and the only reason he died was because he was murdered by the Night King. This is literally installing a monarchy that's going to go on for a hundred plus years. And none of these people know that. This, uh, like, Bran's what, like, 16? Like, just just as, like, a conservative estimate, 16 years old. Okay, so he's going to be king. That's a, that's a choice. I just, I don't understand. I loved, it, it was so uncomfortable, but so funny at the same time when Sansa was protesting, being like, Bran doesn't want this, he can't have kids. And I'm like, Oh Sansa, you can't you can't tell a whole 
like group of important people that your brother that that his junk doesn't work. It, it you just sh- shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. Um, it just I I had so many problems with this scene. It was cool seeing everyone again. Edmir Tully is always great for a laugh, um, but Sansa dunked on him pretty thoroughly. I would say. I just. I, it doesn't make sense with Bran being king, with them listening to Tyrion whatsoever. Um, I, I, why does Jan Royce and da- Davos Seaworth and Brianna Tarth? Why do these people get votes? Like that—that's a legitimate argument. Tarth is a small island. Uh, the lands outside of um, Dragonstone that Davos and his family have are not substantial. Jan Royce is essentially second, third-ish command in the Vale, but Robin Aaron's of age at this point. So wh- why, why, why is it you know Robin should details, be details, Dan? Details. I, it none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Why is uh, and when uh, Sansa gains independence for the North, why doesn't the Prince of Dorne? speak up is like, hey, so uh, it took roughly 4,000 years for Dorne to join the rest of the realm in terms of being all under one kingdom. We're just going to go back to, you know, doing things ourselves too. That, like, that would make sense. They've always been uncomfortable within the context of the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, Yara had a whole deal in place. Why, why doesn't she plead for freedom for the Iron Islands? It doesn't make, like, there's so many logical flaws to this scene alone that I don't know how it aired on a television. It makes no sense. Yeah, uh, so Dan is absolutely correct. You know, we needed, like, a couple episodes to just deal with specifically the governance issue alone because there are so many different flaws, let alone the biggest flaw that they didn't even discuss is the fact that John is a Targaryen. That did not come up, period. You know, and... Straight and, up, Gensry is sitting there, has yeah. the same claim as John to the throne. True, yeah, and, exactly. And neither of them get brought up. None. None, not so whatsoever. And the only thing I can think of is, again, you making a leap, is this Grey Worm, you know, essentially cop-blocking John from being even brought up as a potential king. It 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 just legit, logically it doesn't work, you know. And the and the argument can of course be made. Who has there are plenty of candidates who has better stories than um than Bran. I mean Bran was missing for a whole season. He was missing he, like he was missing for a whole season in the last two seasons he barely did anything. Yeah. So I mean you could say in terms of a story, you could say Sansa, Arya, um, Brit, any any number three of those ladies could have had a, in my opinion, have a better story. If that is the uh, criteria for being the ruler, a better story than Bran. Now, in terms of what Tyrion said, well, Bran he has the knowledge to know the mistakes in history that we've made. Fine. That I can I can buy that. I could buy Brand as an advisor, but it 
I feel like this just wasn't played out, and it makes me wonder, again, if, you know, when Benioff and Weiss got, you know, uh, the the plot beats for how this was going to end from George R. R. Martin, I'm wondering, is this one of the big plot beats, you know, that they had to hit? Hasn't he said, hasn't Martin said since the finale that his books will not end any way, way like the TV show? I thought I read that somewhere. Well, he said that it, it, it's going to be similar but different, similar but different. Similar, uh, yeah. But he did say between seasons three and four, uh, Martin told Benny Hoff and Weiss that Bran does end up on the throne. It just. It uh, it doesn't make sense, but I'm sorry. Go go ahead, Mo. Well, what I'm saying is, is probably because you know they just didn't lay that groundwork by the fact that you're missing an entire season with Bran. There could have been character development in that season when he was gone in season five. Um, but is that his story really that epic? I mean, up until I mean, like his story is not a story of mythology, in my opinion. Correct, like, and I, yeah, I get that. And if if the maybe if the wording had been tweaked a little bit to say that Bran contains the stories, and he is the because he contains the stories and the mythology of Westeros, maybe he is the best person to be king because he understands where we've come from and what direction we should be going, if we want to break. The change. If we want to, if we want to move this forward, you know, I can buy that. But I think maybe it was the choice of wording and the and the choice of phrasing that was used by Tyrion that kind of doesn't make it work. Tyrion screwed it up again, Mel. What'd you think? So let's go back a few seasons. Bran, you're back. You are the rightful heir to the North. Bran, you could be king of the North. Why would I want to do that? I'm a cripple. No one wants to see a cripple the king in the north. Sansa, you do it. Okay. Flash forward a few seasons. Bran, would you like to be the king of the seven kingdoms? Why do you think I came all this way? I know you fucking lying. Because that's how I felt. Watching that whole scene. So, I did laugh when Sansa told her uncle to sit it right on down because no one cares what you're saying. That was funny. We're giving Tyrion the floor to basically decide who's going to be the king of the seven kingdoms. Uh, all right, I can go along with that. But he chooses Bran. Like y'all were saying before, Bran was missing for an entire season. A whole season. We didn't even see him. And honestly, I didn't even miss him. So we get to the last episode of the entire series. And what we have come up with is that, yes. Bran the Broken. I feel like that's disrespectful for the name of a king. The Broken? We can't. Bran the Wise. Bran Bran the the All-Seeing. Bran the All-Seeing. Something. Bran the Broken. Not not only that, but the premise. The premise of getting that is like so that the only reason that Tyrion noticed um, that knows Bran's story in the first place is because he had at Winterfell Bran and him told him over a fire. I, I just, uh, uh, that's how I felt about the whole thing. And everybody just went along with it. Also, 
making John a Targaryen? What what was the point? Because in the end, it wasn't important. It didn't it didn't really affect anything. He still ended up going back to where he started. What what's the purpose of all of these things if it, if we were just gonna make Bran the king? I, disgusted. That's how I feel. Yeah. Um I I think there was a meme on either Instagram or Twitter about and it was basically um two women have like it's eight seasons two women have character arcs and um go through hell white guy comes in at the end and claims the throne <laughs> the end is over everybody go home and go about your life at the end was at the end the man reigns supreme Okay, then. Guess that's it. I just... So, that being said, I did... I was extremely happy. What I had always wanted, Sansa being either Wardeness or Queen of the North, took place. She got that ending. I loved it. It brought me chills. I did all of that so she could keep the North to herself. Yep, she was like, I'm not going to do any... I'm not going to be any part of Westeros. We're going to be independent again. Um, so she got became Queen of the North. Arya had a... Uh, basically, after Sansa and Arya said goodbye to Jon, who goes back up to watch the Wall for no apparent reason and then go north of the Wall with the Wildlings, um, he disappears into the forest. Sansa is Queen of the North. Arya is headed to the end of the world on a ship. Tyrion is now the hand of Bran and having to deal with the new council. Oh, I have thoughts about that council. Okay. Who put <laughs> Bran in charge of money? Well, no, that was but but that's that's because he rules Highgarden and High, like he has Highgarden and Highgarden is the wealthiest and richest. That's how it's always been. Right. But I'm just saying this is the same show Money that talks. Had... Money talks, Dan. Money talks. Hey. Tyrion had to explain to Bronn what a loan was and what interest was. And now we're going to put him in charge of all of the money and food in Westeros? Well, remember Tyrion, remember when Tyrion was saying, tell the daddy, you know, you got to save the women. Well, obviously, you know, he needed to save the women because he got to keep the whorehouses running, you know, because that's what Bronn was all about, the whorehouses. He had to keep them going. Oh, my gosh. And then we... uh, Nobody realized, like, so Sam blows off his Night's Watch uh, vows, blows off the Maester vows, but gets to be Grand Maester. This gets to happen. Being celibate was not a criteria for being Grand Maester. Uh, um, Just say it. Well, here's the thing. They're supposed to be, but they're not. That... That that's why Pycelle's whole shtick was uh, kind of hush hush. So, also we got what may be the most poignant moment outside of Dragon, which was Brienne finishing Jamie's story. No, no, don't you even get me started on that nonsense because you. <sighs> Huh, I this makes me seethe. It really, really does. Because she gave it up. 
to old Jamie Lannister, who then betrayed her and everyone else had me, me looking like boo-boo fool and bows on the ground talking about, oh, Jamie's going to go kill Cersei. But no, Jamie didn't do none of that. Jamie went back to Cersei to go die with Cersei underneath some rocks. And Brynn, still sprung, still with her nose wide open, is going to be like, oh, he died protecting his queen and he was such an honorable man. No, he wasn't. He was the scum of the earth, and you should have wrote about him the, like the trash that he was. Garbage. Absolute filth. I, okay, I agree with you on those points regarding Jamie, but I think what they were trying to say is that Brienne, throughout the entire series, has always been about honor and doing the honorable thing. That and wasn't so even for the her, honorable thing, though. For her, not necessarily him, but for her to forgive him and to give him an ending that was maybe befitting of a night was honorable for her, not him. Garbage. Okay. Like Dan, it. what did you think? I, I wholeheartedly agree with Mel. I, I didn't understand why it was up to Brienne to write Jamie's story. Like, I want to know how the book survived the burning in the first place, but that's I, another topic. <laughs> that that is, that is very true. I just like I'm I flash back to Joffrey was taunting Jamie at one point, being like, "What what's your page say? Oh, I killed a king. That's it. That's like yet you you have nothing, nothing of note that you've done that's honorable on your page, and now we got Brienne." who feels responsible to, like, if feels like it's her duty or something. Like, at this point... Jamie's Hunt, good good must have been really good good because he got both Brienne and Cersei. I mean, it can't be that good. Cersei was also, like, banging Lan Lancel. Well, she had needs. And I'm he was gone saying, a lot. He was gone a lot. Jamie Lannister, who... By all accounts, one of the most handsome men in all of Westeros sleeps with two women, one of which is his sister, the, his entire lifetime. I, 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 it, it's the craziest thing. Wild. Absolutely wild. And then we got Podrick over here. Like, I, I don't know if he's given bad advice or something. That's why Brienne's writing in that book. But it just it it shouldn't be her task to do. It shouldn't be like she shouldn't have to relive those things, and she shouldn't be writing like, "Oh, he died saving his queen." All that's garbage. Well, he my... died in the arms of his sister, who he was banging. The end. My thing is, why wasn't Brienne with Sansa in the north? That was that my doesn't question. make any sense either. There's a she's breaking a vow right now. She is literally breaking a vow. Sansa is a queen in the north. Why? What? Why is she in the south? Why? I is sort of, Roger I sort of get the impression that Westeros and uh, Winterfell are going to be like U.S. and Canada. That that was sort of my impression. They're going to have this pretty much come across the border anytime you want type relationship. Oh yeah, Mo going to be great trade. Mo. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I don't, well, I, you know, feel again that Brienne got slighted by Jamie and she got dogged by him. 
from a writing perspective, I can see, in a storytelling perspective, I can see why they had Brienne write Jamie's page, you know, because to kind of close the loop on that story and that relationship. And for me, you know, I can sell it, see it as, you know, Brienne is taking the high road. She's closed this chapter in her her life because yep. it's not only just closing Jamie's chapter. Jamie's cut, turn, uh, 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 finishing the page in Jamie's life, but also cha- uh, this this chapter in her life, and she's moving on to bigger and better things. And you know, everybody has a bad relationship. Sometimes you just need to like, you know, just close close the loop closure. off and move. Yeah, you just need closure and you move on. Okay, so. As we wrap this up, final thoughts on one final, one brief final thought on the season and your favorite episode of all eight seasons. Mel? The season, the very last season as a whole, I mean, I would have been okay if we had a few more episodes to flesh things out a bit. Because, you know, we had essentially been waiting for, what, almost two years for this last season? So the, I don't necessarily think the anticipation met all of the hype for the end of the seasons. But my favorite episode in all of the seasons, um, the episode when Danny burned Jamie and Braun and the whole army. I've okay. watched that episode frequently, so I can't tell you the name of it, but that's probably my favorite. Dan, final thought on the season and final thought on your favorite episode. This season was a rush job. They should have taken it upon themselves and be and taken advantage of HBO being like, we'll give you 10 episodes and Instead of them being like, nope, we can do it in six. Like that, I I don't understand. It just, it it feels so disingenuous that they could not land the plane. It feels disingenuous to the, the epic levels of storytelling that they were able to reach. The rich tapestry of characters and emotions that they were able to explore. The stories they were able to tell. It, it all just feels disingenuous. Uh, in terms of my favorite episode, um, I gotta say uh, Winds of Winter, which is the season six finale. Um, it features the Tower of Joy stuff with John's parentage. It features Cersei blowing up the Sept. It had, uh, you know, Ned fighting Arthur Dane with Sword of the Morning. Um, I mean, with uh, and near the the bed of blood and liana and promise me ned promise me i don't want to die you know john being named king of the north uh liana mormont just dunking on the manderleys and the umbers and the Carstarks and the the glovers just i i loved every second of it um and well choreographed, well shot. The music cues for the blowing up of the sept are so good. Seeing, you know, Pycelle's death and Lancel with 
you know, his eyes glowing green after the um, the the wildfire just sparking and igniting and just taking everyone out all at the same time and seeing the horror on Jamie's face during Cersei's uh, coronation. It all just kind of came together into something. Like, you knew what direction the show was going toward because um, this was the beginning of the end game. Mo? Okay, so overall for this season, I think, Benioff and Weiss and the rest of the Game of Thrones cast and crew, I think they they landed, the, the plane landed, the plane didn't totally burn up, but, you know, it's like that, that gif where the plane comes in, the small plane comes in and just crashes, but it, that's more or less what happened. The plane it's landed, about- but the air the airbags dropped from the yeah. ceiling. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's that. It's not. I don't think it's like this. This this show was marred by totally marred and and destroyed. And you know, it, it's just a it's a complicated complicated convoluted bit of a mess overall. But I think it's still one of the best shows that television has ever been able to produce and it shows what television with a large budget and support by a type of a network like HBO is capable of doing. Now, in terms of favorite episode, in my case, I'm thinking I got a tie. One is uh, Blackwater from um, season two. When uh, Stannis shows up and tries to take King, uh, King's Landing, I thought that was a really good episode. And I also liked the episode that Mel mentioned which uh, from Season 7, which is the Spoils of War. Uh, it's when D- Danny meets up with um, the the gold train that uh, Jamie had in the, in the Dothraki and the dragons come and just start burning shit down. Love that episode. Um. My thought, final thought on the season is pretty much my final thought on the final episode, it, or I'm um, sorry, the bells was it was substance was sacrificed for cinematography. I feel that e- even with the long episodes that we had, some of them that were longer, that the entire season could have been reworked and very pivotal character moments could have been inserted easily if only less had been wasted on things like Euron and the ships. And we had way too many ship seasons. What was the point of all those ships if they were going to just get burnt up so easily? We had way too many Arya and the white horse and Arya running through King's Landing. There was too much of that through most of the season. And if you had cut a lot of that out and instead made the action scenes punch harder so that even if they were shorter, they had more weight, it would have allowed you to use that extra time for the character moments that mi- that many of the characters needed so that it didn't feel so rushed. I think you could have still done it in the six episodes because when I added it up, I think it ended up being like 7.2 normal one-hour episodes. So I think you could have still done it in six, I, but I do think that 
it it was not a well plotted season. My favorite episode of Game of Thrones will always be Battle of the Bastards because once again it was Sansa coming into her own. It was once again vindication that Sansa has to save Jon's ass because he, he is an a gallant idiot and he would have died. They would have lost Winterfell. They would have lost the battle if she had not been clever and strategic and had the armies of the Vale as backup because she knew that her brother's plan would fail. The only person who failed more than Jon was Tyrion. And I also feel that as just a season wrap-up, from a character standpoint, while Cersei's death was not deserving of her villainy... I feel the last two to three seasons of Game of Thrones really undermined, if I wouldn't say destroyed, but boy, the tier, the character of Tyrion was in tatters in the last two seasons for sure. If you compare him to how he was in the early seasons. And I think that it was a disservice. I think that this finale will, uh, I don't, I think this finale will go down with time and reflection as just a mediocre series finale. It's ne- it's never going to be considered one of the greats. I don't think that it would be considered one of the worst because I think that a lot of the complaints about this season of Game of Thrones, really much of all of the stuff that people had problems with, those things were already emblematic early in the episode. And by time you got to the finale... The finale was just sort of like put the bow on it because because all of the problematic stuff had al- already happened for the most part. So for me, that's how I view this. Um, Game of Thrones is still one of the all time greatest series to ever air on television. It from a from a purely geek standpoint, I have not cheered so much as I did when Game of Thrones won the Emmy to have a fantasy show win an Emmy meant a lot to this geek and. I will always have those fond memories. It will just be that this season was sort of a one-off for me. But I'll still go back. I'm going to give it some time. It's going to be a couple years. But I'm going to go back and watch it from the beginning again. On that note... Oh, wait. I just realized... I did not tally the pool. So on the next episode, we will have a follow-up to this episode in which I tally up and see who won the Game of Thrones pool amongst the four of us in terms of predicting who will live and who will die because I don't have that in front of me at the moment. On that note, we would encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Mel is at Melody Akles. Mo is at uh, Dr. Mo 77. And Dan is at Real Dan Pierce. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Luke has the best story. Bye, y'all. Sam. Be a Tyrion and fail upward. Right? No, that's fa- be a brand and fail upward. <laughs> Come on. Oh, for real. <laughs>